0: worship team. We are in a series in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Luke 18. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you underneath one of the chairs. And we're going to circle back to that, Luke 18. It's on page 877 if you're using the blue pew Bible. But what I want to read for us uh, this morning is and we'll talk about a bit in the sermon before we shift to Luke 18, is Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, page 941, beginning in verse 21. Some people will say this is one of the key passages in all of the Bible. So we're going to begin with Romans 3, and then during the sermon we'll go back to Luke 18. So let's stand together as we read God's Word, beginning in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Uh, You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. This morning I want to talk about a very rich and dense theological doctrine. It's called the doctrine of justification. Uh, Discussing it can feel a little bit like walking through a dense forest. Um, There's a lot of ways to get lost and so we'll have to stick together so nobody gets lost. And this is the kind of sermon that requires a little bit more energy from you. So if you came in tired, I'm sorry. Uh, next week, I'll try to do something easier. But this week, you got to have a, a mindset of leaning forward and leaning in. Fortunately, if you are drift off during the the topic, I'm going to close with two stories. So that uh, you know, if you're not a concept person, you're a story person. Hold on, stories are coming your way. And I, I usually think in pictures. I'm not great at lectures, so I understand that. I'm sympathetic. So we're going to talk about justification, which might be the same thing as making a case. Making a case, the title of the sermon. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, said this, justification is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. This one doctrine, it's, it's like the place the church stands or falls. If it gets this right, a lot of other great things are going to happen. Gets this wrong, you're in trouble. His contemporary John Calvin said, justification is the hinge the hinge on which which religion turns. It's a great little picture. Everything opens and closes correctly by understanding this doctrine. So what is justification? Let's think about it in a legal sense or picture yourself in a courtroom. There are two parties in the courtroom before the judge and each party is making a case. They're making a case for themselves. I'm right. Or you're making a case against the other person Here's why they're wrong. Does that make sense? Some dispute has come up, and they want the judge to hear their case, and they want the judge to rule on behalf of them, so they make a case. If you're a parent parent with children, you get to play this judge all the time, do you not? Something's happening between your 5- and 7-year-old. They come in, and suddenly you're the judge. And they're going to make their case. Usually it's by saying how terrible their brother and sister are, right? They've got to take them down, and what they want, whether you're in the dining room or you're in a courtroom, they want the judge to declare you right. Declaring you right is justification. Does that make sense? That's what it is. It's a declaration that you're right, that you're okay. You're in the right place. You're in the right standing. You might consider it from a, a different place that some of you are very familiar with. The, the uh, internet courtroom known as social media. Social media is awash in law and guilt and justice and judgment. It's a place where you seek justification for your views. You want, you want to post something so people say, Paul, he's right. I mean, he's right. You've got to post that so people know what you, you're, you're about and social media is like a place to make a case to the world or at least your followers. And if you're on Twitter, you've got to cast people down on Twitter. If you're on Instagram or Facebook, you've got to alert people of your virtue. I just don't know if people understand how virtuous I am. So I've got to post it to make sure everybody understands, I'm right, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm thinking right. That's looking for justification. So you post a picture of yourself sipping your iced coffee from a paper straw. Why would you do that? I mean, do I need to know that? What is that? That's seeking I'm seeking justification. See, I'm right, and I've got my baby here who's clearly wearing a cloth diaper. So I'm all about the environment and doing what's best for every baby's behind. And I'm really posting it so you know I'm right. But also what's internally happening in me. I want you to do it too. I've got my settings set for uh, the bright blue and yellow behind me. So I'm oh, I'm good with Ukraine. And I'm wearing my Tom shoes. So you know I'm good on the... You know the the war front. I'm good on giving a pair of shoes to a poor kid in a third world country. I, I'm virtue signaling. That's what they call that. And heaven help you if you post something and the back of your picture is a plastic grocery bag rather than a u- reusable one. I mean, you get roasted, right? Because people feel, they, they don't just look at it and say, hmm, that's Paul's kitchen, he's got the plastic bag. No, it's, it's, it's a feeling that you must weigh in. You must help Paul how ter- to know how terrible he is. So you've got to make the comments. See, the internet is just a wash in the law, a wash in judgment, a wash in guilt. And the way it comes out is everyone here, especially if you're under 30, you're looking for justification. You're looking for some kind of case. You're looking to p- prop yourself up in some way so everybody can say, they've got it right. They've got it right. They're justified. It happens in every sphere, politics or patriotism, motherhood or mother earth. I was talking to a guy who's probably 60, posted something uh, on Facebook. I was talking to him Friday morning. He said, yeah, I posted it. was about, I mean, all it was about was COVID and vaccines. And I just don't think he was anticipating the um, conversation that stirred up. See, the need for justification, it's, it's very real. In a religious sense, justification is being in God's courtroom. Whatever God you may believe in, one day you're going to stand before him or it or whatever you would say it is. You're going to say, I believe there is a God. This is how I imagine them or him in my case. And when you die, you're going to stand in front of this God and you're going to have to make a case. Did you live the right way? Are you good enough for an afterlife? Are you good enough for heaven? And you've got to make a case for yourself. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, both of which believe in reincarnation, you, you have to perform in some way. If you're a Buddhist, you've got to make sure you stick to the Eightfold Path. Now, there's millions of gods in Hinduism, but you've got to do whatever that god wants you to do. If you were here a few weeks ago when Benny was here, and he mentioned uh, one of the gods wanted you to walk to the top of a tall mountain with a coconut on your head. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? But whatever it is, you have to do something. And then when you stand before the god, you say, Well, I did it, and of course you can't do it in one lifetime, so you're going to have a lot of lifetimes to give this a try if you're a Hindu or Buddhist. If you believe in Islam, you obey Allah. You hope your good outweighs your bad. And if you ever feel like the scales of justice are sort of tipping against you, There's things you can do. You can fast, you can recite prayers, you can go on pilgrimages. And these kind of tip it in your scale. So you want to make sure you're doing enough of these things. So when you stand before God, he says, well, you you did enough. You made enough sacrifices. If you're into Scientology, your soul goes through the process of what they call auditing. You want your soul audited? Hmm, I don't know. But if you're a Scientologist, you believe you have negative experiences, basically. They're called engrams. And they have to be audited, and they have to be cleared, which takes a process. It's usually expensive. (laughs) So most Scientologists, there aren't many poor Scientologists. And eventually, if you get clear, you basically become like a god. If you're a Roman Catholic, you are saved by grace, but it's what they call an infused grace, infused. Usually begins with your baptism, but it's a, a, a grace that you can lose or it, let's say it can leak out, so to speak. But good news, uh, there are things you can do. You can confess, you can do penance, and if you don't get it all done in this lifetime, then you go to purgatory and you work it out there. Unless you commit a mortal sin, and then you can't work that out. You die. Now, as strange as some of these sound, and maybe growing up as a Baptist, the Roman Catholic view seems strange in some ways. But when I got baptized as a child, I was maybe seven or eight. It was a Sunday evening. I got baptized, and in the lineup of baptisms were some older people. Um, And they were getting re-baptized. So what what was seven, eight-year-old Paul Phillips thinking about this? This might not take the first time, Paul. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm going down. I'm going to go underwater. I hope I don't drown, right? That's kind of the eight-year-old fear. Hold your nose, cross your hands. It seems a lot of things. I don't want to go down, but... I, it's it's going to be infused or it's going to be washed over me. It's going to be something, but maybe when I'm 30, I'm going to need like a, like a refresher. I'm going to need some more in some way. See, it's very easy to put yourself in your equation of salvation. To say, hey, when I get to heaven, well, yeah, I believe in grace, but also I did some really good things. So that sort of gets me in. That gets me noticed according to the bible justification is a declaration that's a key word it's a declaration it's not an infusion you don't earn it and god is the judge he pronounces the sinner you and me the person who is guilty he declares paul you're not guilty and that's why romans 8 1 is so precious to a believer therefore there is now no what condom oh man there is no condemnation because God has declared that I am righteous. And the way that happens is Romans three twenty-one. So let's just look at that briefly. We don't have time to unpack it, but I just want to just show you the landscape here. Verse 23. No one in God's courtroom is righteous. It says we've all fallen short. It's an archer's term. So you've missed the target. You keep, keep, Paul. You keep trying to shoot at it. You keep trying to say I'm good enough, but you, you're always missing the target. Everybody falls short. So left on our own, we can't get into heaven. But there's good news. Verse 21: A righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. Manifested means it's appeared. It showed up. So I'm here trying to hit the bullseye. I can't hit it, and. Jesus comes in and says, there's another way. And I'm like, great, cuz I can't get in this way. And it doesn't have to do with what you do, Paul. It has to do with I did what I did. Okay, great. Another righteousness has come. Whew. I need that other righteousness. Verse 24, God redeemed. He purchased. There was a price for your sin. God just couldn't say, well, I forgive. Somebody had to pay a price, and he redeemed, and he paid the price. The word here is propitiation, verse 25. So the best way for me to think about it, since I'm a picture person, is the the right justice of God is like a locomotive, and it's barreling towards me, and I'm on the track, and I can't get myself off the track. And I deserve to be run over by God's justice. And right at the last second, somebody... Hits the lever and the tracks turn and all that wrath goes in a different direction i'm like yes there i didn't do anything i didn't pull any lever somebody did something and it went this way and all this went some way and somebody else had to absorb it and that person was jesus He's a propitiation. He he absorbs everything that we really would deserve. And then God says, hey, all that sin you did, Paul, it went to Jesus. So now I look at you and I see Jesus. So when you're standing before the court, no condemnation, right? You're declared righteous. That's the gospel. That's about as clear as I can make it that that's the gospel that's being justified and it doesn't have anything to do with you it's a gift it's grace so would you ever boast about your participation in your salvation no you could boast about your salvation all day long but your participation hey what did you do paul you know what nothing that's what i did nothing i have nothing to boast in because god did it all now, there's a hymn, especially if you grew up Baptist, and I won't look up and see my Baptist friends in the back there, but they know this song. My hope is built on nothing less. What does it say? In Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, my, see, I've shifted all of my hope off of myself, and I've put it on Jesus. My hope is totally on His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame in other words, I, I I can't trust even the best day of my life, right? Oh, I had a good day, God, back there in 2023. That's not, you know, not going to be good enough. I can't trust any little frame that I bring. No, I wholly lean, what? On Jesus' name. Then this last verse, and we're going to sing it at the end. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless I mean when we sing this you got to sing this word loud faultless I stand before the throne isn't that a great hymn that's the gospel it's just in a different a different way you sing it I'm, I'm faultless now and if you're on anything else what are you on sinking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand, every other way, sinking sand, sinking sand. Okay. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I hope what you take away about this idea of justification is it's totally different than the other ways of justification. Every other way is some way you participating or you earning, and this is totally different. And even in a culture that's really lost its moorings on God, and now it's the social media courtroom, everyone's still looking for it. I just want you to notice, it's still a hunger. It's only going to be really satisfied in Jesus. Okay, so that's that's the concept. So now all you pitcher people, come join me, right? If you've been lost here, we're going to turn now to Luke 18, and basically we're going to see two guys— come to Jesus, and they're making a case. They're going to stand in sort of Jesus' courtroom, as it were, and they're going to say, hey, I've got Jesus now. Make a case. See if I get in. See how I'm doing. First is the rich young ruler, verse 18, chapter 18. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Hmm. All these I've kept for my youth, the man said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And notice this Jesus looking at him was sad. Oh, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. What we learn about this man is he's come to Jesus to make a case. He thinks he's good. So he needs to find a person who he thinks is good, like Jesus, and say, hey, can you kind of give me your good stamp of approval? And so he comes to Jesus and said, okay, you're good, and I'm just about to tell you, Jesus, that I'm good. And Jesus immediately reorients him. Uh, uh, Hold on. Uh, No one's good. It's just a a short reorientation that before you go on, let's make sure there's only one person that's good, and that's God. And guess what? You're not him. So you're not good. Now I'm going to resist the temptation of you saying, look at your neighbor and say, you know what, you're not good. Because I know some kids would love to tell their parents that right now. And they'll say, gosh, the preacher told me I had to tell mommy She's not good. But, you know, in, in the Greek, you know what no one means? No one. That's what that means. It's not no one, but Paul. It's not no one but my grandmother. She's really good. See, no one vertically is good. There's plenty of people who do nice things. But in your relationship to God, we're all in trouble. We've all missed the mark. There isn't anyone that's good. So we need some kind of help. And so the, Jesus sort of points it out to him. Okay, you think you're good. Let's just rattle off five or six commandments, the second half of the law that all have to do with your horizontal relationships. And he rattles them off, and the guy says, "Well, check, check again, check again." I mean, I'm ki- I'm killing it on my test. I'm I'm answering the you know I'm grading my own test paper and I'm giving myself a hundred. And you can see that the the man has been blinded by his own sin. So Jesus is going to have to pull out the level, you know, like the carpenter does, and says, "Hey, you think you're straight, but you know when we put God's law up." You don't look too good. And what you find out for this man is that he's not really looking for an inheritance. You see that word? What must I do to inherit? He's not really looking for inheritance. He's he's looking to earn something. See, if my daughter was here in the first hour and I die and she gets an inheritance, she gets all hundred dollars. I mean, it's amazing. But she hasn't earned it, right? I've earned it, and then I die, and she gets it. That's, that's a gift. That's not, she's not saying, I did that $100 on my own. No, it's a t- total gift. But he's not looking for that. He's actually saying, God, I know you're good, and I want you to help me know I'm good. I've earned it. I've earned it. I deserve it. So Jesus helps this man see his blindness by really quoting to him the, second, the first table of the law. Which is one, hey, there's one thing you lack. One thing. Now, when you hear that, what's your reaction? Put yourself in this man's shoes. Check, I've, I mean, checking all the boxes. And then Jesus says, hey, there's only one thing you lack. I think there's two ways to think about it. You just tell me which way you think about it. One thing? Awesome. I mean, I've only got to tweak myself, I've just got one thing left great I'm 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 almost in do you hear it that way or do you hear it you mean to tell me I've kept everything but one thing and one thing is going to keep me out what's the answer to that question yeah one thing is one thing is I don't know if you're going to watch football today or you watched basketball yesterday sorry if you're not a sports fan But you have a critical play, and you think the person who caught the pass or made the shot, their foot was on the sideline out of bounds. Do you know how long they like to take to zoom in to see if your toe was out of bounds? It's like an hour of the game, right? We got 20 million cameras looking at some guy's toe on the sideline. And guess what? When they find out it's just a tiny bit over, what happens? No, you were out that's the way it is with God so if you think oh that seems wrong well watch your attitude as you watch a football game or a basketball game (laughs) oh he's out no points he doesn't score God's saying hey but you know for this guy the one thing doesn't turn out to be small does it it's the very first commandment you shall have no other gods before me and Jesus looks at him and says hey buddy this isn't small You do have a God's wealth. And the man walks away from eternal life. Because he can't let go of what's temporary. And it makes Jesus sad and it makes this guy sad. They both know it and they're both sad about it. And the guy can't let go. He's come to Jesus and he's made his best case. And Jesus says, you don't get in because you're holding on you're bringing something thinking this is enough and and it's not it's never going to be enough now interestingly to me luke who's the writer puts that story right next to blind bartimaeus now they probably didn't happen just sequentially you might read it that way but luke is the writer he's Pairing these things up, and says, "Hey, I want you to see this picture of a guy who thought he could bring something, and a guy who didn't think he had anything to bring, and see what the difference is." So we got blind Bartimaeus coming in, verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, 15 miles away of Jerusalem, a blind man was sitting along by the roadside begging, and he heard a crowd. The reason why is because there's a great pilgrimage going on, and they come through Jericho up to Jerusalem. And this is a great day for this guy because lots of people are coming by. He's going to get a lot of money. So he unfolds his blanket. And while he's there, he hears a big crowd going by, and he says, well, what's all this noise? This is, you know, maybe louder than what's usual. And somebody says, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, this guy's heard of Jesus because he knows who he is at some level. And this is towards the end of Jesus's ministry, so he's no doubt heard about Jesus miracles and he cries out jesus son of david have mercy on me and in one of the most frustrating bible verses those who could see look at the man who can't see and say would you shut up but bartimaeus cried out all the more son of david have mercy on me and jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, would you let me recover my sight? And Jesus said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Jesus is passing through and Bartimaeus hears about it and this is his chance and he's just not going to let it go by and for some of you this is your chance don't, don't let it go by don't let a skeptical professor or a warnery neighbor or a parent who doesn't believe don't, don't let him say hey just be quiet cry out all the more like no this is real i've got i've got to reach out for this i got to do everything i can to get Jesus' attention right now because this is my chance son of david have mercy so you see this man he's making his case right now and what is his case i have no case that's his case i have nothing to bring he knows himself. He knows I've fallen short and no matter how many lives I live and no matter how much fasting I do, no matter how many extra prayers I give, no matter how much confession and penance or rebaptisms I have, I can't make a contribution to my own salvation. I must have what? Mercy. I don't have anything to bring. I'm hoping you have 100% of what is necessary, Jesus. And this is what gets Jesus' attention. This is what makes Jesus stop. This is this is the only successful case you can argue in front of Jesus. So his faith trusted in Jesus alone and he was healed and he followed after Jesus and glorified him. Now as we close just one question how can Jesus just forgive this man? I mean, what if the man's done something hideous? He deserves to be blind. I mean, we don't know. But he, Jesus listens to the guy, gives him his sight, and like magic, it's all, everything's been forgiven. Where's the justice? I mean, you ever seen this on television or in a courtroom? The, the judge declares the guilty person that they're, they're right. You're like, no, I know that person's guilty. You just can't let the guilty run free. And the answer actually is here. Wedged. Luke did this I think on purpose. Can't wait to ask him. He wedged it in between these two stories. The reason Jesus can forgive. Verse 31. I'm going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written about me is going to come true. And that is I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I will be mocked. I will be shamefully treated. I will be spit upon. I will be flogged. And I will be killed. All the things Paul Phillips deserves, I'm going to absorb. And on the third day, I'm going to come back to life and prove I can bring your sorry soul back to life too. That's why Jesus can forgive. Because he's going to pay this guy's penalty, whatever. He's willing to pay the rich man's prideful penalty. He's ready to ready to pay your penalty. But you have to trust in him. And then you get justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. So everyone's looking for it. And where do you think you're going to find it? Whatever you believe in, you're going to die one day. And whatever it is that you believe in, unless you're an atheist, you're going to stand before them, him. And are you there going to say, "Uh, can I make a case for myself? Or are you going to look for mercy? My hope, the Christian's hope, is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness one day i'll stand there and i won't even believe it but god will look at me and say faultless you're free come into heaven let's pray lord we're here just for a few moments and i know that, um, that there's so many things that compete with this message of justification some frustration from the past some uh, uh, joy or anxiety about the future but i pray that you would help us have a mind right now to see that you're passing by and you're passing out grace to all those who would trust in you for anybody here who has their hope on sinking sand and maybe they don't even know it but would you help them see This isn't going to last. It's not going to make it all the way through my death. That they would choose today to be the day to cry out for mercy. That that would be their final case. That they would plead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.